Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Last week, we talked about how God can do anything, so anything can happen. I think sometimes we get stuck in a certain way of thinking. And even though we are in a first world um, uh, issues and we are dealing with first world problems, the truth is that the same hopelessness that can attach itself to to, to that widow in Rwanda is the same hopelessness that can attach a spirit of hopelessness that can attach itself to us. And I see many first world people who they're not worried about insects in their house except for scorpions. Um, uh, they're not worried about their house falling down necessarily. They don't have some of the same issues, but they live in a constant state of, of, of negativity of what is to come. They, they, they're constantly uh, concerned and afraid that they're not going to have enough they're constantly feeling like they didn't get enough sleep last night. They're constantly feeling like they don't have enough in the bank. They're constantly feeling like there's not enough time in the day. They're constantly uh, feeling as if there is a certain confines to their life. There's a certain uh, cons- uh, structure to their there's this box that they're stuck in. And, and the truth is when you come to God, you have to understand that you're coming to a God of miracles, a God who can do anything. Uh, if it can rain or snow five inches in in Buda, Texas. Um, man, like God can do anything. We talked about last week. I mean, all the stories of Scripture, including the Christmas story, is absolute proof that God's not limited by the things that limit us. That God is not constrained and and confined by our 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 measly tiny expectations. In fact, many times I feel like we limit ourselves much more than anything else ever limits us. It is our own lack of expectation. It is our own lack of belief and faith that God can move mountains. We read stuff in scripture and we claim to believe things like a virgin giving birth or like a star leading some wise men or like, you know, I mean, just crazy stuff about or, 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 or Jesus being crucified and then being brought back from the dead three days later by himself, walking on water, raising people from from the dead, three people, three three Hebrew uh, young men get tossed into a fiery furnace. They come out without a single scent of smoke, and we read this stuff almost like it's fairy tales. Because then we approach our lives, yeah. and we say, "Well, you know, I mean, uh, I just don't see how it's going to work. I just, I've, I've tried everything I know to do, and my marriage still isn't." Did you read any of the book, the, any of the 66 books? Just pick one of the books of the Bible and you're going to come across a God who's not limited by what you can imagine and what you can think and what you can work out in your own little head. God can do anything. God can go from 50 widows to 125 widows. It's just an easy thing for him. He can allow us to feed 101 kids uh, every single weekend here at Williams and Betacheck and in fact, give them toys. So we hooked up with Toys for Tots and I picked up like six or seven large trash bags full of toys last night for our Keep Kids Fed kids because not only do we want to keep them fed, but we want to bring them here on Christmas Eve and just give them like two or three toys per kid. 
and, and you guys are donating toys, and there's some toys under the tree right now. But God can do anything. This is not for us. This is not for our notoriety, for our fame. It's not to help us feel better about ourselves. It is to prove to the world, to show what God can do, that God is, is not limited. God can do anything. Anything can happen. I want us to go into 2018 with a sense of expectation that anything can happen. And so in order to do that, we're looking at the Christmas story and we're reading different parts and pieces of it. Um, I, I want to look at Luke chapter 2 right now. It's, it's, it's a bit of a short um, passage. It's the beginning of the classic um, reading that we always did as a family every Christmas morning. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went out to be registered each to his own town. Going on to uh, the next verse, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, that's where he was from, that's where him and Mary were both from, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called um, Bethlehem. Beth, Bethlehem, that's house of bread. Beth is house, le is of, and hem means bread. He went up to the house of bread because he was of the house and lineage of David. And we're going to get into that next week. Um, I probably have one of the, the strangest Christmas sermons for you next week about a guy that you may have never heard of called Jeconiah. Jeconiah is very crucial to the Christmas story, um, and you're going to see why next week. But anyway, they, uh, uh, jo Joseph and Mary go up, uh, and it's technically, when it says go up, it's, it's sort of like Rose saying that she's going up to the to, 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 to the back of the grocery store. You don't go up to the back of the grocery store. You go down to the back of the grocery store. You know what I mean? You go up to the cash registers. That's where you go up to. Anyway, it's, it's a north and south thing. So he's not, it's not talking about north and south. He's literally talking about elevation. They went up um, in elevation. The, the city, this city is higher in elevation. So he goes up. I don't know. That's just my weird little thing. I, I, I read that and I'm like, no, that's not up. That's down. Anyway, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. We talked about that last week, how they were betrothed. On to the next verse. And, and, and while they were there, while they were there, where? While they were in Bethlehem, not in their hometown, but in Bethlehem, while they were there. There's a lot of things that happen while you are um, in a temporary place. There's a lot of things that happen while you are in a place you're not planning on staying. There's a lot of things that can happen while you are away from home, away from the comforts of home, away from the security of, of friends and family. There's a lot of things that can happen while you are there. While they were there, it came time for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. I want to go back to an Old Testament passage found in Genesis chapter 28, just to give a little bit of, of context. And then I'm going to preach to you about uh, trouble and transition. I want, to, I want to preach to you about trouble and transition. So I'm going to pull up this scripture here in Genesis 28. We find Jacob, um, and he is on the run. He leaves Beersheba and goes toward Haran. And he came to a certain place. This certain place is going to become important. It's a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. 
And so sometimes you, you stop in a certain place, not because it was on the map, not because Google told you there was a hotel room there, but just simply because you're tired, simply because the sun is gone down and you cannot travel anymore. This is the certain place. This is the place that he stops by accident, right? He pulls over to, to a gas station um, and just simply stops there for the night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of that place and he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Go on to verse 12. And while he slept, he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached all the way to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on an exclamation point. This is shocking news. On to verse 13. He's, he's dreaming about this. And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder or the steps, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you write, on which you lie right now, I will give to you in the future and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you uh, shall, shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is one of the messianic prophecies about Jesus. Uh, obviously, the Jews in and of themselves, the, the sons of Jacob, which his name is later changed to Israel, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, um, that is one family. But here God promises that through his offspring, singular, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever Wherever you go, I don't know if you like to underline your Bible, but I might underline that right there. Wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Um, I, I, I have a short sermon for you today. And um, it, the sermon title, if you would help me do that, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and actually look at the person sitting next to you or across the way. Babe, you're going to have to look at Diana. And uh, you gotta, you got you to gotta announce my sermon title to them, okay? Uh, just, just, just tell them it is what it is. That's not the whole sermon title. You got to keep looking at them. That's just, that's the first part. That's the first part. This is not a depressing sermon. All right. So, 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 so tell them it is what it is, but it's not all there is. <laughs> it is what it is, but it is not all that there is. Sometimes, I, I love how Jacob wakes up from his dream and he says, God is in this place and, and he didn't tell me. <laughs> you know, he says, God was in this place. I didn't know. Like, like sometimes I think we are more shocked by the stuff that we didn't think could happen. We are shocked by our limited understanding about things more than really just even who God is. It's like, it's like, it's not weird for God to be in a place, but for God to be there and me not know about it. Now that is mind blowing. Like what is going on here? 
because we are so good at, at trying to figure out the landscape of our lives, of trying to figure out the outline of possibilities, right? So God can show up here, God can show up there, God can do that, and God can do that in that particular setting. This is, this, this is where religion comes from, because religion says, you know what, if you're, as long as you're not wearing skinny jeans, as long as you're actually in a real church, not a school, as long as you are not playing rock and roll music, then God can show up. But once you get some of that rock and roll music, I don't know, or what did, what, how did Dallas word the Christmas music? Was it emo or sad and melon? I, I don't know. Some kind of weird that is totally Dallas, right up Dallas's alley. I mean, he, just, he loves like the E minor and the E major and stuff. And, and I mean, you know, I mean, when you're doing that stuff, God's not going to show up. But if you're singing Hillsong, then yes, God can show up because we have these certain parameters. We have these certain things and it has to be on Sunday morning between 930 and, 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 and uh, let's see, about 2, 2 a.m. or 2, 2 p.m. I mean, it has to be within these certain parameters, these confines. This is where God God works. And this, when he shows up here, when he heals people who really believe in him, when he builds things for people who really believe, then it makes sense. But Jacob is shocked by the fact that it's not all that it is. That it is what it is, but that's not all that there is. He's shocked by his, his expectation of that place. To him, it was just a stop on the road to where he was going. And he wasn't even sure where he was going. He was on the run from his brother who was trying to kill him because he had cheated his brother. He had lied to his father. He had used his mother. He burned all the bridges. I mean, not just one of them. He burned all the bridges, you know, kind of like Ben McAdoo. He burned all the bridges, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just on his way out, he just burned all the bridges. And he, all the Giants fans, you might, you might know what I'm saying. But he just, he just, I mean, you know, I mean, like, there's, there's some things you can do. And then there's just some things you don't do. And you don't cheat your older brother out of both his birthright and his blessing. I mean, you know, wiggle your way to get one, but to steal both of them. You just don't know. And Jacob is on the run because of some of the bad stuff that he's done. He has been a cheater. He has been a liar. He has used his mom to, 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 to manage his way into a place in his family he never should have had. And he's on the run because his brother is trying to kill him. And honestly, most of the town pretty much agrees with his brother. He's in trouble. And, it, and it's interesting. It's like we believe God can do anything and anything can happen so long as we do the right things. So long as we're in the right place at the right time. Right? As long as we're doing the right things, then yes, God can do anything and anything can happen. But it's a shock, isn't it? When God shows up and, and you're in a bad place because of the bad stuff you've done. It's just kind of weird because our culture says, well, you made your bed, now lie in it. Right? You made your mess, now clean it up. God's not obligated to clean up the messes that you make. That's our culture. That's what our culture says. Our culture is, is basically, you got to fend for yourself now. God helps those who help themselves. That's not even in the Bible. That's just, that's, that's silly. <laughs> I don't know what other word to use. I mean, you know, that's like cleanliness is next to godliness. No, with kids, it's next to impossible. I mean, it's just, that's not in the Bible. It's just not in there. And, and, but people have inserted their own thoughts and their own expectations that, well, as long as you're doing the right thing, as long as you're in the right place, that's where God's going to show up. But what Jacob realizes is that God can show up anywhere, that anything can happen because God is, as he said, I am with you wherever you go, anywhere. 
I am with you anywhere, even in the middle of nowhere, even in the middle of trouble, and even in the middle of transition. You can be on the road. He's, he's, he's leaving what he knows. He's leaving. Look, look he, he is a descendant. He, he wanted the blessing and the birthright, Jacob, because he believed in the promises that God had made to Abraham. And all the promises that God made to Abraham had to do with location, had to do with being in the right place, had to do with being in the land of Canaan. And now he's leaving the land of Canaan. He's leaving the land of blessing. And the very thing he fought for, because he didn't do it ethically, he now has to run away from. There is a lesson in that. <laughs> Sometimes how you do things is more important than what you do. And, and the very thing he wanted, he has to forfeit, essentially. I mean, he's got the blessing and the birthright, but what good is it if you're not in the right location? And so in his mind, he's letting it all go. He's having to leave it all just to save his life. And he stops at this certain place, this place that was formerly called Luz, L-U-Z. And so I know it's a bit of a stretch, but, but it's, not, it's, not, it's not spelled the same. But, uh, but I just feel like we each have our own Luz that we can stop in, that we can dwell on what we have lost that we can dwell, that somewhere in, in trouble, in the midst of trouble, and in the midst of transition from where we thought we were supposed to be, what we thought was supposed to happen, there's this place called lose, there's this place called loss, that we can set up shop and set up camp. And this is what the Bible tells us, that he used a rock for his pillow. Usually the Bible doesn't tell us how people sleep. <laughs> You know, well, there was a bunk bed, uh, it was a water bed. It was not, you know, there's not a lot of description in the Bible about people's sleeping situations. Do they sleep on straw, hay? You kind of have to go outside of the Bible to try to figure that stuff out contextually. But the Bible here tells us, oh, by the way, he used a rock for the pillow. And, 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 and that's kind of strange. It's a strange pillow to use. Later on in the verse, the Bible tells us that he uses that same rock as a pillar. In other words, this wasn't, you know, a pebble. It wasn't a tiny rock. It was a large rock. So I'm just going to use a chair here just kind of to help demonstrate for you the uh, kind of the rough size that, that, that most people tend to think it would have been. It would have been a large sort of, uh, not incredibly tall, but, but sort of large rock. And now if he uses this as a pillow, he's not laying down like we would lay down. He's, he's sort of laying down like this. And most, most scholars believe that he, that he would have, the Bible is very descriptive about the way that he slept because it says something about what was going through his head. Which, by the way, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, sometimes when I'm really stressed, I wake up and like my legs are, my muscles are sore. Almost like I've been sleeping all night, kind of like, I don't know if that happens to anybody else. Like I'm just clenched, I'm just stressed. Like I wake up and I feel like I haven't even rested. And it is true, the way, what you're thinking about when you go to sleep affects how you sleep. And so, and so this, uh, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, that's just my guess, okay? So, uh, you know, so, so he, he, he's sleeping, the Bible wants us to know he's sleeping on a rock like this. Why would he sleep on a rock? Why wouldn't he, you know, lay out his, his, his jacket, fold it up? That's what I'd do, that'd be my pillow. I'd fold up my jacket and I'd curl up, you know, in the fetal position, just lay there on the grass. It's not comfortable to lay on a rock. Why would you, why would you sleep Laying on a rock. Well, well, because the, this is not a this is not a this is not a this is not a Holiday Inn. You know, this is not a nice place. This is this is a scary place. This is the middle of nowhere. 
All right, and he's going to sleep out in the open just alongside this little road. And it's getting dark and there are bandits out there. There are wolves out there. There are bears out there. I mean, tigers, lions, bears, oh my. I mean, you know, this is like, this is, this is the wilderness, okay? He's not, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not in a parking garage. This is the wilderness. And so he's sleeping, probably, my guess is, he's sleeping sort of like this so that he never really uh, gets into a deep sleep. Because I'm a deep sleeper. So if I were to like, you know, roll up my jacket, lay down, like, a bear would be like gnawing on my leg by the time I actually woke up. You know, I'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, you, by then you're in trouble. And so, he, so, so it seems to me that he's sleeping in such a way as to sort of never really let himself get too deep into sleep so that he's ready to go, right? If, 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 if twigs start snapping and something, somebody start, uh, horses start p- pulling up, I mean, you know, he's, he's going to be ready for action at least to be able to run. And that's, that's what happens when you feel like you are alone. That's how you sleep when you feel like you're alone. Like you gotta sleep with one eye open. Like you gotta be ready for anything. And you don't just sleep that way, you live that way. You, you, you enter into relationships that way. You take, you take on job opportunities that way. Like you gotta watch your back. Like you gotta, like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make sure that nobody takes advantage of you. When you believe that you are in a place that God is not, You lose all hope that anything could happen, and instead you start feeling responsible to guard yourself and to guide yourself. Because it's just you. And so and so you can't even sleep good at night because because it's on you. And even when you're even when you're closing your eyes, you're not really allowing yourself to rest. You don't ever actually rest when you when you stop and lose. (laughs) When you hang out and lose. And, and, and it, you say, well, what does that have to do with the Christmas story? Well, it's very, very interesting to me that, that, that Quirinius, the governor of Syria, makes this, Syria, makes this uh, proclamation that everybody has to be registered. And Mary and Joseph are north in, in Nazareth, and they have to come down to Bethlehem. And on their way through Bethlehem, they have to go through literally the same path that Jacob took, only in the reverse. And they would have gone through what, what was later called Bethel. It previously was called Luz, but Jacob in this story renames the place Bethel because he's, he's so shocked that God is there. He says, this is the house of God, and Bethel means house of God. Beth, house, El, God. He, he renames it Bethel. And, and it just as I was reading that story about, about Mary and, and Joseph, as they're traveling, they would have gone through what was formerly Luz was now Bethel on their way to Bethlehem. And Mary's massively pregnant. And, and we don't often think about this because for us, you know, it, like if we're going out to Whataburger and Rose Water Breaks, you know, it's fine. We just call the midwives, head back to the house. We're good. I remember when with our first kid, um, man, we were, we were racing. They were, they, her, and a, her and a friend were just peeling toward the midwife center uh, whenever she was in labor. You know, we have a lot of ways of getting places and doing things that, that for us, it's really not that big a deal. If you're out of the house and you start to give birth, you can, you can figure it out. But this is not the situation with Mary and Joseph. See, the, one, the, the city that they lived in, this town called Nazareth, would have been about 400 people. The population, they, they believe, would have been about 400 people. Now, we have 175 here in City Chapel every Sunday. So just double 
city chapel just about, and you have the entire town of Nazareth. I mean, everybody knows everybody. Because most of them are related. It's like a, it's one big, literally one big family. And, 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 and that's the, the support system, that's the structure that Mary is used to being in, that Joseph is used to being in. When one, when one person, when one of the women of those 400 people had a baby, right, one of the, I guess, 200 ladies, roughly, uh, had, had a baby, the entire culture would gather around that particular family. As it's, it's sort of, you can still see this in tribes in Africa right to this day. It's a, it's a, you know, I think, I think somebody said, Oprah said, it takes a village to, to, to raise a child. And, and, and literally, I mean, that's what they would do. The village would come together, they'd celebrate the birth of the baby, and, and several of the women in the community would move in. Like now, like your mom moves in for a week or two. But in those days, like, like several women from the community would move into your place, help you take care of, even, even nurse the child if it needed nurse. I mean, they were so intimately connected to this support system. And then just when she's about to have this, this miracle baby, everything's riding on it. There's this decree, hey, you have to go to Bethlehem. You have to go on this. It was about, I think about a four-day journey. You have to go to Bethlehem and you have to basically wait in line with thousands of other people for, it, it, it seems that they stayed there about two years. This is a, a big commitment. This is a, this is a massive life change. And it's while they were there that the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth, which means, and she's, she's out in the wilderness. She's in a, uh, she, it says there's no room for them in the inn, so they were with the, the animals. That, that would have been a cave that they stuck the animals in. So they're basically in the parking lot, the ancient parking lot, and that's where they're living because there's some, there's some cover there. They're homeless. They're in a parking lot, and there's no midwife, Right? The midwife that she'd been talking to for the past nine months there in Nazareth is not there to help them. The families that she knew that were going to be there for her are not there to help. The support system, the friends, the connections, all of the security that comes with that. And it's only her and Joseph, and Joseph's useless. <laughs> I mean, just to be honest, like our, our first kid, I was pretty useless. I, 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 Ro had a back labor, and I was just massaging her back the whole time. Um, and I never got any sympathy for it. My whole arm was numb after eight hours. And everybody's like, what are you whining about? She just gave birth. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe I did my part, but whatever, you know. Uh, but it's not, I, I, as far as helping, actually, I mean, no, we needed the midwives there. I mean, we need multiple midwives. Like, it was crazy. Madam was turned around the wrong way. And, and uh, apparently that's a bad thing. And anyway, it's, you know, it was just, it was just this, this tough experience. And this is their first child. And and Joseph doesn't know what to do. He's running around, you know, are you breathing right? Are you breathing right? Are you breathing right? And that's all he knows how to say, just keep breathing, you know. And, and she's, you know, she's, she's probably about to hit him, you know, although she can't really blame him. It's not his fault this time. The one time in history, the dude is not responsible. And, and you know, and, 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 and this is the situation they find themselves in. I wonder if while they're passing through Luz and passing through Bethel, I wonder if they, they, they remembered this story about the prophecy about the son that they were carrying. 
how, huh, this is funny, because the prophecy came to a guy who was on a run, who was in trouble, who was in transition, who was leaving his support system, who was leaving his family and his friends and all the connections that he, he was outside of God's box. God's not here. And here is Mary and Joseph leaving the support system. They thought that they had the place that they thought Christ was going to be born. And, and, and I wonder if they felt at all the same way. In fact, I know that they did because in Psalm 22, there's a prophetic passage about Jesus. Jesus quotes Psalm 22, the beginning of it, when he's on the cross. You really ought to check it out sometime. It's really cool. But Psalm 22, verse 9 and 10, Jesus remembers the night that he was born. And he says, you are the one, speaking of God, who took me from the womb. You made me trust in you while I was on my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. You took me from, it wasn't a midwife. It was, God was the midwife. <laughs> you, God, took me from, and you made me trust you even from the first breath that I had. All I had was God. From the first breath that I had, it was just my mom and God. I don't know what Joseph was doing. Obviously, like I said, he was useless. And Jesus prophetically looks, uh, uh, David prophetically looks forward to the day that Jesus was born. And, and, and as much as the, the movies would like you to think that there was like these animals that carried him and angels that floated him around. all that, No, 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 no. No, the, the Son of God was born to a lady who had nobody but God. And isn't it funny that at 2,000 years later, we've built up all of these same parameters and said, well, as long as you have a good support system and a great family and make all the right decisions, then Jesus can really do some stuff in your life. That's not really what this passage teaches us. It teaches us that even if you are in trouble and in transition and all by yourself, this is when God shows up. <laughs> And it's shocking. And it, and it surprises us. Just like Jacob. Jacob says, says, God was here. And I didn't even know it. Jacob says, I thought I was on my own. I thought I was having to work my own thing. I thought I was having to defend myself, to guard myself, and to guide myself. But God reveals in a dream this staircase that is coming from heaven right to the very ground that he is sleeping on. And what's, what's going on? There are angels going up and coming down, going up and coming down. Angels are God's messengers. They're God's workers. In other words, God's sending angels down to the spot where Joseph is sleeping. And then angels are coming back up, getting new orders, coming back down, doing their thing. That while Jacob is sleeping and trying to be, I mean, he's tense because he's overwhelmed with the results of his own decisions. God almost to the exclusion of his decisions is working overtime to guard him and to guide him and to prepare for him. That's why I can say anything can happen because it's not dependent on you being in the right place at the right time. It's not dependent on you uh, making all the right moves and making all the right decisions. 
that there is a God who is committed to making his name great wherever you are and whatever you've done and however far you've gone or whatever you're running from. There is a God who is committed to making his name great and so he does miraculous things for people, especially people who don't deserve it because when people who don't deserve it find out that God is still present in the lose as much as he was in the win, when they find out that God is still good even when they necessarily have not been, when they figure out, they, what they say is how awesome is the middle of nowhere. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God, the dwelling place of God, that God had visited me in my victories, but he came to live with me in my losses. He, he met me in the middle of nowhere, that when I had left everything that I thought I was supposed to be, that's when I left the front porch of God and walked into the living room of God. This is the house of God, the middle of nowhere. This is where God dwells. This is where miracles happen. This is where anything can happen and anything is possible. This is where he shows up and reveals himself and says, you know what? I am with you wherever you might go. And the Son of God, two, two and a half thousand years later, the Son of God is born to a lady who is in transition and in trouble. And she doesn't know if she's going to survive this thing. And she's never been in this place before. And she doesn't have her support system. And God, God comes to earth and allows himself literally to, 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 to be caught not by a professional midwife, not by a big support system, or a bunch of family who's going to take care of, but a, a, a young girl who's all by herself in the middle of nowhere. God shows up frequently in the middle of nowhere throughout history. God is showing up in the middle of nowhere, almost as if to constantly prove to us that he is with us wherever we go, whenever we call on him. Whenever we reach for him, anything can happen. <laughs> anything can happen. And he adds value. As our widow in Rwanda said, he adds value to people. He wants them to know their value. And he wants you to know your value. He wants you to know how much you're worth to him. Because he wants you to worship him. So that's why he shows up when you don't feel like you deserve it. So that you'll know it wasn't about you really ever, all along, never. It was entirely about his plan for you and his glory and his revealing himself. He wanted to show up to you so that you'd see him. And so I just want to offer that to you today to, for you to put your faith in Jesus who perhaps you are beginning to see in this Christmas season. If you would close your